Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. When it comes to holiday movies that can be classified as weird or bad or psychotronic or or whatever descriptor uh, you choose, the 1964 film Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, I'm going to probably refer back to it incorrectly as Santa Claus versus the Martians, but it is Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. This is a film that just really stands out. Even if you strip away the holiday aspects of the movie, it's still one of the weirder and more entertainingly weird films you could dig up from the 20th century. I think that they should have kept the ending a little bit more of a cliffhanger. Like, they tell you the end in the title. Yeah. Well, you know, kids are watching. You don't want them to be in distress over what's going to occur. But <laughs> well, Oh, yeah. Otherwise, the kids would be worried that Voldar actually does murder Santa Claus in the airlock of the spaceship. Yeah. Oh, also, I think Conkers is a little misleading. It brings to mind a certain image of of Santa bringing the people of Mars, uh, you know, under his heel, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and proclaiming Mars to be the domain of Santa. Uh, it doesn't really work like that. I guess it's more of a like a spiritual conquering. He conquers a certain Martian mindset. He uh, mm-hmm. he he conquers the the mindset of the Martian who wants all of life to be serious and violent and adult. Yes, this is a really fun film. I'm looking forward to discussing it here. And and really, I guess the other exciting thing about it is like it's a film that's so weird and so amusing that I believe it's come up numerous times on Weird House and Stuff to Blow Your Mind before. Like anytime we've been talking about Santa Claus, but also sometimes just when we're talking about science fiction films. There's a particular set in this movie that I believe I referenced when we were talking about Mario Bava's Planet of the Vampires. 
Oh, that makes sense. The craggy planet surface set, which I think mm-hmm. may also be exactly the same as the North Pole set, except with the North Pole, they covered it in snow. Yeah, they just got a flocking gun or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but either way, it's uh, it's a, a strange landscape of uh, kind of twisted topography where little like spires and things poke up out of the ground. Right, right. And we end up, too, with the, with the classic uh, spaceship uh, landing leg set where you, you're not going to show the whole spaceship, but you can show the landing legs and have people climbing down from it. Uh, they did it in Planet of the Vampires to great effect, and they do it here uh, in an amusing way. I see the shared DNA, yes. So, yeah, this is a tremendously fun film. The premise is wild, and yet, as, uh, as Michael Weldon points out in his review for the Psychotronic Encyclopedia of Film, quote, the spirit of Christmas shines through. Because while... Choices of every sort can be called into question regarding this film, <laughs> and certainly we'll, we'll, we'll discuss many of them. Its commitment to a childlike wonderment for the holidays is just above reproach. Sure, yes. For my own part, I've been watching this film for years, I, at least as far back as whenever I first saw the 1991 episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. They, they of course, famously riffed this movie. Uh, I think it was later riffed on Cinematic Titanic and then also on Riff Tracks. Uh, I've, so I've revisited this film uh, via these episodes with friends and family, I guess, for decades at this point. But this isn't the only way to enjoy the film. Before Joel and the Bots came around, plenty of people were enjoying the heck out of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. In fact, I once went into a furniture store in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and what were they playing on like multiple televisions during the holidays? It was Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. I asked the owner, it's like, oh, did you learn about this in MST? He's like, oh, no, this is just the movie we watch every year. What's MST? So I always, <laughs> I always enjoyed that. Wow. That's interesting. It seems like whenever I go into a place of business that has a TV on, it's just news or it's it's like local news. That's always just a segment showing like a body outline drawn on the ground (laughs) or like uh, or it's Fox News or something like that. Mm. Well, in in this case, it was Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. And and I don't go into a lot of furniture shops. So this is this is the, the, the memory I choose to keep of what it's like inside one. So this year, I watched it with my my wife and my son. We had a great time. My son in, insisted that we do the unriffed version of it, which I was happy to to oblige on. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, my, my son enjoyed the goofiness of it all, but also enjoyed questioning the logic of its many uh, plot choices. But he's also a real Christmas kid at this point, uh, just really gung-ho for Christmas. And so he really dug all the holiday vibes as well. I could not help but compare this movie to the other main Christmas movie that was covered on Mystery Science Theater, which is the 1959 Rene Cardona Jr. uh, Mexican film Santa Claus, also known, I think, as Santa Claus versus the Devil. Yes. And several differences stand out. They're both uh, fantastically entertaining in their own ways. But One of the things that really uh, stood out as a difference is that the Mexican film emphasizes that the spirit of Christmas is love and appreciation Mm -hmm. for family and selflessness and charity. Like the strong moral themes in the 59 uh, Mexican Santa Claus. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians is very much more that the spirit of Christmas is fun and it it is about laughter and toys and that the real threat. uh, So the the uh, the villain in the uh, 
59 Santa Claus is the devil because, of course, the devil opposes charity and goodwill and love and all those moral values. Whereas in this movie, the villain is someone who opposes nuisances, who opposes noise and laughter and silliness. Yeah. Um, yeah. The devil wouldn't really have a place in this movie because the devil would just be like, hey, I'm fun. Nobody ever accuses me of not being fun. Yeah. So, yeah, it is interesting to compare those two. Uh, of course, both Santa V. Martians and Santa V. Devil are important legal precedents uh, for our <laughs> celebration of the holidays. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and, and one is, yeah, one is more uh, uh, theological than the other. But both raise a lot of questions. You know, what does it mean when you have your Santa mythos and now the devil is involved? What does it mean when now interplanetary conflict is involved? They both also have a surprising number of science fiction gadgets. Santa Claus Mm -hmm. Conquers the Martians has everything from the freeze gun to the tickle wand and all all other manner of things in between we'll talk about when we get into the plot. Whereas the 59 Santa Claus has the flower to disappear and it has those like lips on a tentacle or whatever that poke out of Santa Claus's uh, hideout in space. Yeah, I love when a Christmas movie is not afraid to get inventive and come up with new twists and turns. Even if it's terrible, it's a lot of fun. Like I'm thinking of that Dudley Moore, John Lithgow movie, Santa Claus. Did you ever see this one? No. Oh, it's uh, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But even as a kid, I could tell this movie was bad, but also a lot of fun. It had to do with like something about candy canes that... If you ate them, it would make you fly. And that's about the only thing I remember. And mm. John Lithgow is an evil corporate enemy of Santa Claus. Nice. I don't remember how Dudley Moore. I think Dudley Moore's an elf. I'm not sure. Before you said evil corporate, I, I was trying to imagine what it could be. And I thought of uh, John Lithgow in his Buckaroo Bonsai role versus Santa Claus. <laughs> now, that would be good. Santa Claus versus the, I don't know, you know, the John Smallberries, whatever you called him in that movie. <laughs> Uh, by the way, speaking of Santa Claus, uh, the the devil, uh, if you are Atlanta-based, uh, I believe, what is it, next week, Videodrome and the Plaza Theater are going to have that on the big screen. Thumbs up. All right, so what's the elevator pitch for this movie? Well, I think it basically comes down to Santa Claus becoming a central figure in an interplanetary conflict. Maybe we should hear some trailer audio. Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Santa sets up a fantastic automatic toy factory on Mars. Martian leader battles the wicked Boldar in a desperate effort to save Santa, the wise man of Mars. 900 years old. The Battle of the Toys, when Martian kids and Earth kids join Santa to battle the bad guys of Mars. Age fun, you'll be out of this world when Santa Claus conquers the Martians.
All right. Sounds pretty fun, right? Sounds like all you kids who just pile into the theater for this one, get out of the cold. It's time for some cheer. I did not listen to the trailer. Does it sing the song? No, it does not. It has some other jaunty kind of dancey track going on in the background, but I don't believe this is the theme song. I mean, I guess we could play a little bit of the theme song or we could just sing it. Um, I was actually, you can, you can stream it like on Spotify and stuff. Uh, so I was playing it this morning in the car, you know, and it's like, um, hooray for Santa Claus, S-A-N-T-A-C-L-A-U-S, hooray for Santa Claus. Yeah, you'll hear that a number of times. Uh, what do they say? Uh, he's he's round and fat, but jumping Jiminy, he can fit down any <laughs> chimney, which becomes a yeah. plot point in the film. It's how Santa escapes certain death in space. Yeah, if there's a ventilation system, he's a master of it. Uh, he finds some fun ways to use the uh, existing mythology of Santa here. I would say this song sounds like a mix between it's like half something that would be on Sergeant Peppers and then half uh if you've ever heard that most unwanted song created by the <laughs> that like Russian art duo uh that's you know combining children's choirs singing about uh holidays in Walmart with opera rapping and cowboy music. Yeah, I mean I have heard that and I the comparison is not altogether unfair but um uh... But I don't know. I, I, I like this track. I, I, I've had it stuck in my head the last couple of days since I rewatched the movie. It has that trumpet part, that like really yep. wild, jazzy trumpet part. Yeah, maybe that's why I was thinking of that song, too, because the, the trumpet part, I guess, kind of reminded me of the, like the, the tuba riff in the most yeah. unwanted song. It'll push the boundaries of your tolerance for crazy trumpet solos. Yeah. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. 
brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So if you haven't seen Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, um, obviously, I highly encourage you to do so. It's pretty widely available. When I went to I went to stream it uh, on Prime, there were multiple options, one of which was included in Prime. So I think I I don't know what the rights issue is with this film, but there seem to be so many ways to view it. There is even a. Uh, at least one DVD release of it that's labeled as as remastered. So that might be worth <laughs> looking into. I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know if I could handle this in high def. <laughs> a lot of the designs in this movie are kind of on the cheap side, but also pretty enjoyable to look at. But one thing that was not enjoyable to look at was any close-up on the Martians' faces with their green makeup, which just looked mm-hmm. like filth. <laughs> Or yeah. sometimes it, it, I was watching it with Rachel and she compared it to, uh, she said they look like uh, Charlie Sheen in Platoon when he's got like the green camo makeup on mm-hmm. his face. Yeah. And you can, you can tell that as, as is often the case with any film that inquire, requires makeup like this, it kind of varies depending on the shot, how well it's applied. Yeah. And m- my son was picking up on this. He's like, why is, why is his neck not green in this one? Uh, or, or later on, just kind of commenting on the quality of it. Like, okay, it looks pretty good in this scene. looks pretty good here. But it always looks kind of greasy. Like, I, I was just thinking about these actors. I was like, man, after they're done filming for the day, I bet they're, they're really looking forward to a shower. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of the actors, yeah, as we get into the the people of note here, basically the case with this film, and, you know, we're not a a hardcore film history uh, podcast here, but the basic scenario seems to be you had some TV filmmakers and producers that decided to make the greatest Santa movie of all time. And they turned, I believe this was made in New Jersey, and they turned to Broadway for their talent. So a great many, if not all of the the main actors in this film are sourced from the Broadway scene of the day. So uh, in looking everybody up, I actually had to go to the Internet Broadway database a little bit to to do a little research on, on who these individuals were. 
All right, well, let's start at the top. The director was Nicholas Webster, who lived 1912 through 2006, mostly a TV director. And uh, after this, he went on to work on episodes of such shows as Bonanza, Get Smart, The Immortal, Mannix, and in search of, Ooh. particularly the episodes on Bigfoot, The Tower of London Murders, and Eva Braun. Huh. <laughs> okay. He also wrote four episodes of In Search Of. For those of you not familiar, this was this was uh, Leonard Nimoy hosted basically a conspiracy theory show of the day that I think was perhaps well-intended, but also helped to further promote some ideas such as um, uh, ancient aliens and so forth. And when I was a kid, they would show reruns of this on A&E, and that's how I'm familiar with it. But he wrote some of the episodes, and he also wrote and directed the Bigfoot documentary, Man Beast! Exclamation point. Myth or Monster, question mark, from 1978. Was it a documentary or like a, a fictional documentary? Well, um, the, the title would lead me to believe there's at least a, a, a hefty dash of fiction in there. Oh, well, no, no, no. I meant like a <laughs> mockumentary, I guess. I don't know. Given his connection to In Search Of, I suspect it's leaning more into okay. the, um, the longing for Bigfoot. Well, who can blame him? And I hope Nicholas Webster here cast the same actor to wear a Bigfoot suit that he cast to wear a robot suit in this movie. <laughs> I hope so. Now, for, as far as the writing on this movie goes, there's a screenplay credit for Glenville Merrith, and it's based on a story by the producer, Paul L. Jacobson, who died in 2015. These are the only credits I could come across for uh, either of these individuals uh, as far as writing goes. So, um, yeah, they're, they're the, the, the scribes we have to thank for this wild idea. I'd say just in terms of uh, acting talent, I think probably the the people with the most star power in this cast, I would say, are the guy playing Santa Claus and the guy playing Voldar, the villain. Mm, yes. So Santa Claus is played by John Call. John Call lived 1908 through 1973, and he was active in films from 1951 through 1971. That's when uh, his last film was released, The Ander Anderson Tapes. This was directed by Sidney Lumet, and it starred Sean Connery and Christopher Walken. Wow. Uh, but this was just a bit part for Big John Call. This was, he played O'Leary, the doorman. Hmm. Like many of the cast members here, he had a Broadway career and, among other roles, played Dr. Grimwig in a 1963 through 64 production of Oliver, uh, the musical. And uh, yeah, in this, he is one of the highlights of the film. He's this, he's kind of hard to describe because he's definitely Santa. But he's like slightly over jolly. He tells bad jokes all the time. He almost comes off a little intoxicated. He's slightly mischievous. This is Santa with a with a twinkle in his eye of a different kind than you might imagine. Like he makes some jokes at other people's expenses, even though he's the nice guy of the movie. And he also there's a thing he does in several scenes where he just laughs at someone like a maniac until they are forced to start laughing with him. Yeah. He invented laughter yoga basically, but yeah, he is overflowing with holiday cheer here. It's just, uh, it's just infectious and perhaps a little dangerous. <laughs> All right, let's get into uh, some of the other characters. We're going to talk about a couple of Martians here and Joe, you made some discoveries about the naming of the Martians. Oh, well, so the, 
several of the, like the main Martian family, their names all end in the word Mar, and the first half of their names correspond to what role they have in the family. So you have the leader of the Martians, Kimar, which I saw suggested on the internet that is short for King of Mars, which makes sense, K-I-M-A-R. Ah. And then his wife, who is the mother of their children, is called Momar, so I guess she's like Mother Mars. And then the children are Bomar and Germar, like boy Mars and girl Mars. It, it doesn't exactly uh, sound great. It's, it, it, I think they could have come up with better, but that's what we're left with. Okay. I like that this is, I've got some new insight now. All right. So, yeah, starting with the father. The, this is the father knows best of, of the Martian clan here, <laughs> yes. Kimar, played by Leonard Hicks, who lived 1918 through 1971. And uh, I, th I think I've looked into his biography before because, like I say, I've been watching this movie for so long now. Um, this is the most prominent of only three screen credits that he has. And he only has three credits on the Internet Broadway database, uh, which, of course, doesn't mean he wasn't you know, active uh, elsewhere on the stage. Um, according to his obit in The New York Times, he appeared in productions at the Sharon Playhouse, the Living Theater and the New York Shakespeare Festival. Uh, he had a real presence in this film. I, f I feel like he you know, has this kind of stern yet loving Martian. Dad knows best. Seems like this is a guy that would have been a natural cowboy actor of the time. Hmm, yeah, he is very stern, very serious, but not uh, cruel like the next guy we're going to talk about. He's kind of a green eagle of a man. Yes, Voldar. Do you, do you think that V, the V, is like villain? Is that where we're getting this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Villain. Yeah, yeah. Voldar is the bad guy of the movie. Voldar, this uh, you know, very tough-looking Martian with this amazing mustache, played by Vincent Beck, who lived 1924 through 1984. Another Broadway actor who worked in a lot of film and television as a character actor, often playing heavies, unsurprisingly. He had notable roles in 79's And Justice for All as a cop and 1967's The Spy in the Green Hat. And he did a lot of TV work, popping up in bit parts on shows like Gilligan's Island, The Man from Uncle, Bonanza, Mr. Ed, The Time Tunnel, and The Monkees. His final film was a 1982 William Lustig movie titled Vigilante, which seems to be in the, the death wish vein of uh, <laughs> cinema of that time period. But he plays a judge in that. Was this movie also just called alternate title Street Gangs? It may have been. I, uh, it's like I, I saw the, the, the basic pitch for it. And I'm like, this is not a movie I really want to know any more about. Um, so, uh, but yeah, a lot of those had double names. So like, you know, let's, let's release it again. It's more scandalous name, please. Let's touch into other areas of fear. Yeah, but Vincent Beck is fantastic in this role. He's one of my favorite actors in the movie. He's just <laughs> relentlessly grim. He's got this deep voice, muscular physique, this thick black mustache, and all he ever wants is seriousness and anger and war. Yeah, yeah, he's a terrific enemy of Christmas. Like such a terrific enemy of Christmas. He belongs in the like the the proper overarching pantheon of the holidays. Uh, and, oh, man, can you imagine if Voldar and uh, and Pitch the Devil ever teamed up to take on Santa Claus? I think they might pull it off. I don't know if they would work well together because I believe Pitch would be too silly for Voldar. <laughs> like, Pitch is engaging in exactly the, the mischief and antics and dancing about that Voldar is expressly the most against. The thing he doesn't want happening is children of Mars having fun and getting underfoot with their play. 
Now, when it comes to play on Mars, there is no greater um, violator of Voldar's sensibilities regarding Martian silliness than Droppo. He is a silly man. Droppo, and we'll, oh, we'll, we'll talk a lot about Droppo here in a bit. Um, he is a, a silly Martian. He's the laziest man on Mars, uh, played by the, the late, great Bill McCutcheon, who lived 1924 through 2002. This, for me, is one of the highlights of the film as well. Like, this performance is just so silly. It is, um, you know, you could compare it to, I think you could easily compare it to the antics of, say, a Martin Short uh, hmm. in more recent uh, cinematic history. It's like there's that level of goofy energy to it where yeah. there's no wasted motion. All every, all the, the individual's energy is put into the performance. Oh, yeah. Droppo is burning 10,000 calories an <laughs> hour. He Like, he never stops. Yeah, this is a broadly comedic role. And uh, yeah, he's just positively possessed with childlike wonder and childlike glee for Christmas. And uh, this is uh, this is Bill McCutcheon, who is a highly accomplished character actor and also a Tony Award winner. He won a Tony Award for his role as Moonface Martin in the 1988 revival of Anything Goes. Don't know anything about that. <laughs> um I don't know a lot about it either. I think it's uh, I get, get the impression he's playing a gangster or something in it. I, mm. I saw some some uh, some photographs from the the production, but that's about it. We'll have to hear from our our theater uh, listeners out there if you have uh, any anything you'd like to add on these various musicals. I don't know a lot about musicals unless they have a monster or a murderer in them, in which case I, I, there's a good chance I've seen them. Mm. He was also nominated for an Emmy Award for playing Uncle Wally on Sesame Street. Do you remember Uncle Wally? Uh, not explicitly, but when you showed me pictures, this kind of looks familiar. So I'm sure I saw him. Yeah. Uh, I think he was also nominated for an Emmy for playing Young Joe on the TV movie The Forgotten Kennedy in 1978. And he also had some uh, fairly big uh, film roles. He played Shirley MacLaine's husband in Steel Magnolias in 1989. And he was also in 1990's Mr. Destiny and 1989's Family Business. He also had a role in the Tales from the Dark Side episode, A Case of the Stubborns, which also featured Christian Slater and Brent Spiner. Hmm. Oh, and this is crazy. According to his New York Times obit, he served in the U.S. Army during World War II and received the Purple Heart. Oh, that's uh, uh, Droppo seems more like a lover than a fighter, but uh, I guess this was in his later years. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, now moving on to Lady Momar, who you mentioned is the mom of the household, uh, the stylish lady of Mars, played by Lelia Martin, born 1932. She is a Broadway actor who is, I, I believe, still active. Uh, back in the 1950s, she had roles in shows like Guys and Dolls and West Side Story. In the 60s, she was in Gypsy. At some point, in The Phantom of the Opera's 35 Years on Broadway, if for anyone out there who isn't aware, like it's it's been running on Broadway in New York for, for ages and is just now like closing up shop. And I think they've had to extend their dates because of that, because everyone's like, whoa, you can't take Phantom away from us on Broadway. <laughs> and so everybody's going back in to see it one last time. I have to say, I'm, again, not a big musical guy, but I've always liked Phantom of the Opera. Hmm. I'm a little foggy on the details here, but she played the role of Madame Geary in that, though I don't know for how long, but apparently she was active enough that she was present for a 2018 red carpet event for the 30th anniversary of the show. Hmm. 
She has a few TV credits as well, and her film credits include 1971's Who Killed Mary? What's-Her-Name? with Red Buttons and Sam Watterson. And her final film credit was 1976's God Told Me To, the oh. fabulously weird Larry Cohen film that starred Tony LoBianca, Sandy Dennis, and Richard Lynch. She played Nurse Jackson in that. Wow. And that's kind of a Christmas movie. In a, <laughs> so oh, is no, it? I don't not, recall no. it. I recall I it having technically a St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> it, it does have a kind of glowing, uh, like Richard Lynch is a glowing space Jesus who tells people to do crimes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But he does glow. He's very angelic. Oh, we have Santa Claus in this, but we also have Mrs. Claus, played by Doris Rich, who lived 1901 through 1980. I've seen this credited as the first cinematic portrayal of Mrs. Claus. Hmm. I think, again, I'm primarily a Broadway actor, her IBDB credit stretch from 1928 through 1972. All right, another actor of note, again, another Broadway actor. Carl Don plays two different roles in this film. He plays uh, Chochum, the, uh, the, the wise hermit of Mars, and he also plays Professor Von Green, which is a comedic Werner Von Braun parody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shows up at one point in the film. I think they call him Werner Von Green. I heard Werner Von Breen. Mm. Oh, it could have been. I, yeah, it, Breen, Green. Either way, it's very obvious uh, uh, bit of parody here. Uh, this is a guy that was active on Broadway from the 1940s to the 1990s. His film credits include Stardust Memories and Ransom, uh, mostly small parts and some TV work. There are a couple of uh, stooges that Voldar has working for him. And they're both terrific, but the, the more recognizable of the two is Shim, played by Joseph Ellick, who lived 1921 through 2019. A very recognizable character actor, has a very recognizable face. Uh, his biggest role on screen is probably that of playing um, Bancini in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, of course, frequently pops up when we're talking about uh, connections in these movies, because that is like a magnet for, um, you know, weird character actors of the day. Mm -hmm. This guy also did some TV work, and he had roles in other films, such as The Producers, The World's Greatest Lover, and Black Rain, the Ridley Scott movie that uh, featured his final performance on screen in which he played a bartender. I was just trying to remember which of uh, Voldar's henchman he is here is he the smaller one or the bigger one is he the one that gets a clown nose put on his face he's the bigger one that has a monologue about slinkies and how wonderful they are yes i was wondering if that was paid product placement but he does <laughs> look directly into the camera and talk about how uh i don't know maybe christmas isn't so bad because the slinky is the most wonderful toy ever made <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's he's the bigger of the two with the slinky. The other stooge, uh, I'm not sure who he was exactly. Maybe he didn't have as big of a footprint in film or, or, or Broadway, but he is also terrific because I have never seen someone twitch and chew scenery so much in the background. There'll be a yeah. scene where two other characters are talking and he's just, oh, he's just twitching up a storm. Every muscle on his face is moving. It is a, a spectacle to behold. He looks like he bit his tongue off while filming this role. <laughs> anyway, but, but Joseph Bellick, yeah, did a lot of other work. He was even in two episodes of the original Twilight Zone, The Obsolete Man and One More Paul Bear. Oh, but there are kids in this movie. It is a kid's movie. Most of these kids 
didn't really appear in much else or anything else. Um, Victor Stiles plays Billy Foster, a human child. Donna Conforti plays Betty Foster, a human child. Uh, Chris Month plays Bomar, a Martian child. Um, I think Month was in a couple of other very brief things like Ed Sullivan Show and so forth. But for the most part, these kids pop up in this this show and you don't really find them elsewhere. But famously, the Martian child Germar is played by Pia Zadora, born 1954. As an adult, Zadora is known for her um, performances in such films as 1983's The Lonely Lady, 1984's Voyage of the Rock Aliens, which looks pretty fascinating, uh, 1981's Butterfly, and John Waters' uh, Hairspray from 1988. Oh. She also apparently had a, a, a musical career as well. Voyage of the Rock Aliens has a gnarly poster. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. 
It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. And finally, on the musical note, uh, Milton DeLugue did the music and lived 1918 through 2015. Composer and musical consultant who mostly worked in TV and TV specials. It looks like he had a long-running musical consultant role for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Oh, okay. Uh, somehow I can see the the main song here, the, the Santa Claus Conquers the Martians theme song with the spelling of the name and everything being a parade song. It does have a, yeah, kind of a marching feel to it, yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's our cue to jump into the plot breakdown, because, of course, the movie does begin and end with that song. The horns, uh, the children's choir singing, uh, S-A-N-T-A-C-L-A-U-S, hooray for Santa Claus. Uh, We get all the lyrics about jumping Jiminy, he can climb down (laughs) any chimney and so forth. And that segues into a news report, a kind of strange way to begin the film. But we see a news anchor uh, talking about how kid TV, so I guess this is a kid-focused uh, news channel, has <laughs> installed a TV crew at Santa's workshop, and they're going to interview Santa Claus. They got the scoop on, on Santa Claus, and then we pull back to see who's watching the TV. And, of course, you're expecting... I don't know, some Earth children, but no, it is green Martian children. And not only are they green, they're wearing green turtlenecks, they have green helmets, and they have green antennae. Yeah, this is the same basic costume design we'll see with all of the adult Martians as well. And it's always intrigued me because it's you know, it's definitely a singular vision, but are the people of Mars just wearing high-tech suits? Are, are these like space suits? Or are they cybernetic are we to interpret things like their 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 antenna array as being part of their body or part of their technology? This is a good question, and it's not really clarified by the movie much because, for example, there's the scene where the children first meet the Martians and they see the antennae and they say, are you a television set? <laughs> uh, and, uh, of course, the, the Martians are not impressed by this question, but it implies that the antennae are part of the Martian, even though they are clearly like made of metal and jutting out of the Martian's helmets. So it's almost that suggests that the helmet is like part of the Martian anatomy. Mm. But then again, it's clearly a helmet. Like it doesn't look like it's fused to their flesh in any way. Anyway, coming back to the kid TV broadcast, we go to the uh, to the anchor on the ground there who's standing outside covered in frost. He's he's like, we're here at the North Pole. It's very cold here. I'm going to go inside Santa's workshop and talk to Santa. So he goes in. We see elves working on toys. Uh, He approaches Santa Claus and they, they greet each other. The Santa Claus looks directly into the camera and talks about how he's excited for Christmas. And it's hard to describe how strange the vibes are in, in the scene. Yeah, I mean, it would be weird enough, I guess, if you just had your just the just the basic idea of uh, a TV journalist coming in and chatting with Santa on the job. Um, it, it One question I had, like, is, is this an exclusive that they've grabbed here? Yeah. Or is this like a constant flow of different international uh, press representatives coming in, uh, wanting to get their five minutes with Santa Claus, get some footage of uh, of the toys being assembled? 
Well, the newscaster has all kinds of ridiculous questions for Santa, <laughs> such as, is Santa going to be traveling by rocket this year? And Santa says, no, balderdash. He's going to do it the old-fashioned way with the sleigh and the reindeer. And he starts manically reciting their names and he getting them some some of them wrong. Like, he's on, on Dunner and Blixen and Vixen and Nixon. Uh, but then he sort of catches himself, but he points right at the camera. He goes, but the kids know their names. And it has exactly the energy of a wrestling promo. It's like Scott Steiner talking to the camera. Oh, yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that this style of pro wrestling promo existed yet in the, the, the early to mid 60s, but it really feels like Santa is cutting a 1990s wrestling promo here, complete with gesturing to the camera, acknowledging the power of the intended audience or the fans, the kids in this case, and so forth. It's, it's amazing. We almost get a Ric Flair woo in there. Yeah. And then uh, Mrs. Claus wanders on. She sort of flirts with the reporter and then belatedly realizes she's on TV. And she's a very Mrs. Claus is played as very uh, annoyingly over talkative. And Santa even jokes about this later when she gets uh, frozen with a Martian freeze gun. And he's like, I've never heard her this quiet before. Yeah, he's being abducted by Martians later on, and yeah. his wife is frozen, but he takes just a quick moment to mock her for not being able to talk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the missus, always chattering away. But so Santa and the reporter go to check in with the elves who are working on toys, and they're making toy trains and everything. One is making a toy rocket that runs on real rocket fuel. That's what they say. I think <laughs> he says real rocket fuel. <laughs> But then also they pick up another toy from the table, which is a green little doll. And they're like, why? What is this? Yeah. And we're told that that Winky has invented it, that it's his idea of a Martian. So we introduce an idea here that uh, is, is touched on a couple of times in the movie. And I... I really went wild thinking about this time. Winky clearly has the gift of prophecy. He yes. can divine the future through his toy creations. I assume that like maybe his dreams are just the pure act of creation. He is able to realize the form of the beings from another world that are about to arrive on Earth and throw everything into chaos. Yes, Winky has the gift. Anyway, enough of Earth. We should cut now to Mars to meet our Martian characters and get some flavor of Martian life. So we we jump into the house of what appears to be the royal family of Mars. Again, this is Kimar, you know, the king Martian. Uh, he's the very serious and stern daddy. There is Momar, the mom Martian, Gurmar, the girl Martian, and Bomar, the boy Martian. Do Gurmar and Bomar have any individual characteristics not really that I could detect, but uh, you know who does have a personality? Droppo, who also lives in this house because I think he is Kimar's like personal manservant or butler or something. He lives in the house and he's just this silly bozo who uh, whose main activities are falling asleep when he's not supposed to and dancing around and acting goofy while surrounded by deadly serious green Martians. Yeah, Dr Droppo is just a real treat. And one of these early scenes when we encounter him, what's he doing? He's sleeping on the job. Right. He's like sleeping under the coffee table. There's all this mod furniture everywhere. Very much the same spirit as the Jetsons. For some reason, this movie mm -hmm. says, yes, mod furniture, that is what indicates aliens and the future. It looks pretty good. I mean, 
I, I certainly the version I watched of this was not remastered or anything, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, a lot of effort went into these sets. Anyway, so Kimar finds Droppo sleeping, and how does he wake him up? Well, he wakes him up with the tickle ray. <laughs> it is a baton that tickles instantly at a distance, and uh, Droppo begs him to stop, but also clearly seems like he's kind of into it, like he likes the tickle ray. The mere fact that this uh, invention exists on Mars seems to back up Voldar's we-used-to-be-a-planet-of-war criticism. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, shouldn't this be a like a stun gun or something if the Martians yeah. are really as evil and warlike as they claim? Yeah, no, now they're just tickle guns. We used to have stun guns. Uh, so Kimar says, Droppo, you're the laziest man on Mars. Why are you always sleeping during working hours? And Droppo makes a bunch of excuses. He says he forgot how to sleep, so he was just practicing. Kimar wants to know where Lady Momar is, and Droppo says she went to the food pill center to get some food pills. Here we set up what will be a repeated object of comedy in the movie. The Martians don't eat food, they eat food pills. So Santa, when observing this, like somebody offers him some chocolate ice cream pills, and he says, well, if you've got a headache, do you eat regular chocolate ice cream? Uh, and uh, this is uh, tremendously funny, I guess. But there are a bunch of Martian inventions that occur throughout the movie. Yeah, there's the sleep spray, which you use on the children to make them sleep. I guess mm. this is kind of a parent's dream. Yeah. Um, oh, and also uh, one of the things uh, I think we touched on this already, like the, the children of Mars, you know, they don't have fun. They just basically sit around and they they become adults really quickly. They learn via some sort of telelearning device um, that, like, is described as like putting the knowledge directly into their brains, kind of like you know downloading the information into their brains. But when we see this in action, it looks a heck of a lot like they're just listening to podcasts. It looks like yeah. uh, like if, like a scene I might find if I walk in and my son is laying on his bed listening to a podcast. Yeah, it's just audio talking at them. And sometimes they talk back to it, I guess. But these are the information machines that they use to educate their children. Uh, but here we learn of what you just alluded to, the inciting situation of the film, which is that the children of Kimar are not eating or sleeping lately. They have no appetite. They don't want to go to bed. Uh, you have to sleep spray them in order to get them to lie down. Uh, and it's because they sit in front of that television set watching those ridiculous programs broadcast from Earth all day. Now, this made me wonder, what do they watch when they're not watching Santa being interviewed on 60 Minutes? Just anything, I guess. But I think this is exactly what children of my generation were like. And I assume this is what children watching television were like in the 1960s as well. If it was on, you watched it until there was just the test pattern after the TV station went off the air. You know, very, very much a matter of a teacher, mother's secret lover. Oh, it's Saturday afternoon. Is this River of Death starring Michael Dudikoff on TNT? I guess that's what I'm watching. Yeah, it's on. You're watching it. But the children actors, they do a good job of wearing absolutely blank, almost catatonic expressions while watching this horrible Earth TV. Yeah, and I've seen children with these exact expressions watching television. So this is dead on right here. Uh, so they're watching Santa Claus talking about the toys he's making and the, the kids are talking to each other while Kimar is watching from behind. Uh, Germar says, Bomar, what is a doll? And Bomar says, I don't know, Germar. So uh, Momar comes home and she and Kimar discuss the problem. Across the entire planet, children are behaving strangely. 
They don't want to eat. They don't want to sleep. All they want is to watch Santa on TV and talk about earth toys, dolls, bats, everything like that. Something is wrong with them. And Momar has a suggestion. Kimar has to figure out what's wrong. And to do that, he must go to the forest and consult the wisdom of Chochin the Ancient One. (laughs) Oh, Chochin's great. So Kimar pokes his belt buckle and uses that as kind of a a belt buckle cell phone to call all of the chiefs of the Mars Council, which I believe are Hargo, Rigna, Lomas, and finally Voldar. Voldar takes a minute to answer the belt phone, and I think that's foreshadowing for his character. And so Kimar says, meet me in the forest. We're going to consult Chochim. Uh, Chochim rocks. We're going to get to him in a second. But first, we have to learn a bit about the politics of the Mars Council. The other chiefs, uh, they're just kind of sheep. They go along with whatever Kimar says. But uh, before Kimar arrives, Voldar is there, and he's obviously the bully boy of the group. He's got this deep voice, the thick black mustache, the muscular physique under the green tights. And he instantly starts undermining Kimar to all the other chiefs. He's, you know, why do we have to listen to him? And why do we have to consult this doddering old man? They're referring to Chochim. Now they go to the forest. And of course, when you think about fantastically realized alien forest ecosystems in cinema, I mean, clearly you think of Avatar, but then you also think of Santa Claus Conquers the Martian. <laughs> Just such a vivid living system they've, they've created here. It's kind of some, some fake tree trunks with, uh, with like Halloween fake cobwebs thrown over them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little, bit of, a little bit of fog back there for sure. Now, when uh, Voldar is undermining Chochim, one of the other chiefs says, Chochim is 800 years old. We can't reject the wisdom of centuries. And Voldar says, I can. <laughs> so Kimar arrives. They summon Chochim from the ether. They, they like call out, Chochim, where are you? And he sort of pops into uh, corporeality out of a column of smoke. Uh, and I want this frame where we first see Chochim sitting there on his throne in the Mars forest. I want that as the cover of my upcoming Doom Metal album. It's so good. Oh, yeah. That's a real Cosmic Wizard vibe here with his staff and his beard. There's Saturn visible in the background. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Chochim is amazing. And I have to highly recommend any folks out there who have only seen the Mystery Science Theater 3000 cut of this film. Um, As fun as that is, you need to watch another cut of it, either one of the other riffs or, of course, the full, pristine Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, if you want the extended, full Chochum monologue that we're about to describe here. So Chochum hears them describe the problem. You know, the kids aren't doing what they're supposed to. And so he, he realizes, wait a minute. So they're watching Earth TV. He says it's early December on the planet Earth, the time of Christmas. He says, it is an occasion of joy and peace on the planet Earth. The whole planet? Okay, Mm, that's what he says. Uh, And for children, it is also a time of anticipation as they await the arrival of Santa Claus. They await the arrival of Santa Claus. That's kind of the voice he has the whole time. It's so great. Yes, it is. Uh, Oh, and one point he asks, what month is it, I think? And they say, well, it is September. Yes. Uh, He says, no, not Mars months on Earth. Is that before Smarch? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the problem, Chochim explains, is that the children of Mars, they never get to have a childhood. They don't play. They never have fun. They're just hooked up to these information machines from the time they're born. And by the time they can walk, they're already boring adults who are dead inside. And now they are rebelling against this. And the only way to fix it, we need a Santa Claus on Mars. 
sensible solution. Um, I couldn't help but wonder, does this somehow reflect actual concerns about children of the early to mid-1960s? Were they being hooked up to information machines? Well, no, but I wonder if there was some concern about, like, uh, maybe it was kind of reflective on, uh, you know, maybe for the, like, the post-war generation or for the generation that, like, grew up through the Second World War, maybe this was, like, a, a worry they had. Like, like maybe they were, they were reflecting and thinking, well, there were aspects of our childhood we didn't get to have. I hope that our children get to have more of a childhood than we had or something to that effect. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I wonder. Anyway, uh, Chochin explodes. Uh, he <laughs> sort of disappears in a puff of smoke. And then Kimar agrees. He's like, yep, we're going to bring Santa Claus to Mars. Now, Voldar disagrees. He does not want the children of Mars to have fun because if they start laughing and playing and running underfoot, they will become a nuisance. But he is overruled and the Martians will kidnap Santa Claus. So they get in their spaceship, travel to Earth, uh, and they start scoping out the planet Pretty quickly, they find Santa Claus in front of a department store. But wait a minute. Here's another one on a street corner. There are too many Santas. This could have been a movie in itself. Yeah. This is my favorite what-if moment of the whole film. Because I, I, I can imagine a scenario where they're like, well, look at all these Santas. I guess they're all Santas. And we need to have the right number of Santas for cheer. Let's round all of them up. Or perhaps they think... Well, we, we've got to round them all up to be sure. So let's go harvest all of Earth's Santas, and then we'll sort yes. out which one is the true Santa. Or what if they were just kind of lazy about it, and they're like, oh, the first one will do. Let's just get him. And they end up just getting a random mall Santa who's then brought to, to Mars and is expected to deliver on all of this Christmas cheer. I like the getting all of them idea because then you could imagine like a Martian prison full of tens of thousands of Santas, and they have to like storm the prison walls they they do a martian prison break as an army of santas oh that would be amazing i mean all these ideas are great like i know there've been talks in the past of a serious revival of this film or remake of this film i think i want to say at one point tim burton even expressed an interest in it mm. and uh, i mean for the most part yeah you can't recapture this magic but i don't know if you had the right creative spirit behind it kind of like a classic tim burton spirit to it you might be able to do something and maybe you could draw it out a little bit by exploring some of these other possible scenarios so instead the martians say uh we got to figure out which is the real santa what do we need to do probably kidnap some earth children <laughs> and force them to reveal santa's true location but why would they assume they would know I don't know. Anyway, here we meet Billy and Betty, who are our Earth children for the movie. I don't know where they're supposed to be at the beginning. It looks like a kind of barren landscape. They're like leaning against a dead tree, talking about whether or not they believe in Martians. Uh, and then the Martians just come up on them. They say like, hey, what's up? Uh, and one of the kids asks, hey, what are those funny things on your heads? And Kimar says, those are our antenna. And they ask, are you a television set? This is what we alluded to earlier. Voldar is not impressed with this. He says, Kimar, is this what you want to do to our children on Mars? Turn them into dopes like these Earth children? I want to point out that in this scene and in subsequent scenes, um, you have a Martian, in this case it's Voldar, with this freeze gun that freezes people. This is actually just a, I believe it was a Whammo brand air blaster from the day. You can, you can do searches for these and find, and they mass produce these. So they're, I think they're readily available as like kind of uh, collector's items of the time. But yeah, these were just common little toys that like blasted a little puff of air. 
Oh, that's nice. So these are known toy. I wonder if that was on purpose. So the kids would be like, hey, I saw that in Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. I want to buy one. Or it just looked cool and we'll use it. I mean, I'm reminded of, uh, was it Robot Jocks that we watched where there's some sort of a gun. And in some scenes, in the close-up, it's clearly a really cool-looking sci-fi prop gun. But in some, there are other shots where it's clear they're using a glue gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, and so the the children get kidnapped. Uh, You know, they say, tell us where Santa is. And the children immediately betray Santa and reveal the location of his secret base. They say it's the North Pole. And so on the way to the North Pole, we're treated to more stock footage. In the meantime, we see an airplane refueling in midair. I think this particular bit of stock footage, it or something almost exactly like it was used in another mystery science theater movie, I recall, about Air Force or something. And there were just long scenes of oh, refueling yeah. in midair. Like that, Red Zone I, I Cuba know. or one of those, maybe. Yeah, if they found this fascinating at the time, I guess. I mean, it is fascinating. Air-to-air refueling is amazing, and we could easily do a Stuff to Blow Your Mind episode on it. Like, it's it's a crazy concept we take for granted. But, uh, yeah, there, there are whole stretches of this film that just feel like a strategic air command stock footage dump. Yeah. We, we also see lots of missile silos opening up and, and rockets being, like, taken around on rails and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, also, along the way, Droppo, who was caught stowing away on the ship, he fell asleep inside the radar console. He is tasked with watching the children. But naturally, Droppo's, you know, he, he's a good guy. He just lets them out of their cell, shows them around, allows them to sabotage the ship's radar jammer. Uh, and uh, we, we were joking that the kids are trying to commit suicide by Space Force. And <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he just lets them out. Major design fail for making the radar console so comfy for naps. It's just the right size for a full-grown adult to climb in there and, and curl up. And I guess it's probably warm and cozy in there, too. I'm sure it is. So they arrive at the North Pole. The children escape to try to warn Santa that the Martians are coming for them. And we get a great North Pole set. Again, this is the question of, uh, is this the same as the Martian surface set, but just with snow on it? Uh, possibly. Yeah. The spaceship has landed. And so we have the that one, the wonderful lander legs and a ladder coming down from what is supposed to be the bottom of the spaceship. So it's it's not Planet of the Vampires, but what is? It still has a lot of charm. The Martians say they are going to use Torg to capture Santa. We have not seen Torg yet, so we don't know what it is. But uh, ooh, that, that's a it's it, it makes the the hair stand up on the back of your neck to hear what what is Torg. I have to know. Well, one thing I observed is that Torg is Gort spelled backwards. That might not be an accident. This reminds me of a of a line from uh, from John Saxon's character in uh, what was it? A Battle Beyond the Stars. Uh huh where uh, he says, I had to look it up because it was like Gort. Maybe he said Gort or, or the reverse. But, you know, he says, Daco is expert at inflicting pain. So, <laughs> yes. uh, it made me think, Torg is expert at inflicting pain. Uh, well, I think Torg is, though Torg is not, it's not invulnerable. And some types of magic may, in fact, uh, stop his, his murderous nature. But so the children escape. The Martians go hunting after them. Of course, Voldar just wants to kill the children. Uh, the children see him and they say, he doesn't like us, but he is literally trying to murder them. Uh, they hide in a cave from a polar bear, which has a <laughs> actually horrifying costume design. This polar bear looks like a mask somebody would wear in The Purge. It is evil. It reminds me a lot of uh, Tumbak from The Terror, uh, from the, um, the the TV miniseries adaptation. Uh, so yeah, we were not meant to know of it. 
And then out of the frying pan into the fire, the bear goes away. They come out of the cave, but here comes Torg. They initially mistake Torg for Santa's workshop, but no, Torg is a giant robot with glowing eyes that grabs the children. And then, of course, Voldar gets to Torg before uh, Kibar does, and Voldar is like, nice work, Torg. Now destroy them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I get this children's movie, like he's literally commanding the robot to kill the children. Mm Mm-hmm. But Torg does not obey because Kimar specifically programmed him to obey only my commands. Hmm. Very smart. But so they, they make it over to Santa's workshop and they look inside and they see the, the toys and the games. Voldar, of course, hates all this. Again, he's saying, you know, children, games, laughing. This is this is humiliating. Mars was once a planet of war. Uh, which makes me think it it, it would almost uh, be great to set part of this podcast to the Gustav Holst planet suite, the the Mars theme, uh, <laughs> which uh, if you've never heard it, it really does sound like war is coming. It's it's very much Voldar's theme song. You know, if Voldar was really con- like he's already shown his his true colors, he mainly doesn't want the kids playing because they would be annoying and would be underfoot. If he was really concerned about the warrior ethos of the planet Mars, he would at least meet him halfway on like war toys. Like let's just only tanks and and toy guns. Uh, No, I think he's just saying like the children should only learn war from the beginning. So not even playing war. They should just Mm. go to war. You know, he's like one of these guys who's obsessed with the movie 300. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, 
personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, they get to Santa's workshop. They send Torg in. They're like, get him, Torg. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what happens in this scene. I think Torg was supposed to incapacitate and remove Santa from the premises, but instead Torg is like rendered harmless by the magic of Santa Claus. He comes in and Santa's like, oh, you're a big toy. And then Torg just doesn't do anything else. Yeah, I mean, uh, Santa is an arcane artificer here. He's, uh, he's a master of toys, and what are toys but technology? This is like trying to pull a robot attack on Daedalus. You know, mm. I mean, it's just not going to work. But, of course, the Martians themselves, they still got their freeze guns and everything. So they come inside, and they're going to kidnap Santa. This is plan B. They use their freeze guns on the elves. They use their freeze gun on Mrs. Claus, uh, and Santa is forced to cooperate. But, as we mentioned earlier, not uh, before making a joke about how, my dear, I've never seen you so quiet. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It's such a weird choice. Uh, then, okay, so Santa Claus and the children, they get back on the spaceship. They're taken away, stolen away to Mars. Meanwhile, we see a bunch of newspaper headlines. Somehow the newspapers know what has happened. So they're running headlines like Martians kidnap Santa Claus. Yeah, this is like front page. Um, I forget all the journalism lingo for um, for or what do you call a headline of this caliber. But like this is the this is the big stuff, because clearly this is this is not only an international issue. This is now an interplanetary issue. And it's an extra. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like the banner headline. And then below that, I was just because I paused the frame here to see what was going on. We see the other headlines are panic in New York. Menagerie breaks loose. Mm -hmm. And the other is planarians give new clues to early migrations. Oh, OK. I mean, either one of those would have been the lead story had it not been for this. So I guess it would have been kind of a slow news day otherwise. So anyway, we're in the spaceship. We're going back to Mars. Uh, but on the way, the magic of Santa Claus kind of spreads even to the adult Martians on board. Uh, the other Mars council chiefs start giggling uncontrollably. There's this one Martian with a beard who comes up to Kimar and he's like, that little guy is so funny. I couldn't stop laughing. And he retells a joke that Santa told him. He says, what's soft and round and you put it on a stick and you toast it in a fire and it's green. 
a Martian mellow. And Voldar, of course, is he, he's still mad. He's like, that's what he's going to turn us into. Martian mellows, soft, round, toasted in a fire. <laughs> he is not amused. Oh, and Droppo especially seems to love Santa. They're two peas in a pod. Droppo was made to be Santa's buddy. Mm-hmm. But Santa's just always doing a comedy routine. We see him in his cell, like on the bunk, talking to the children. And he's telling a story about going into a chimney that was surrounded by fog. And he says, it's the biggest chimney I'd ever been in. And then there's a punchline. I realized it wasn't a chimney. It was the smokestack of the Queen Elizabeth. The children do not laugh. And he says, well, don't you think that was funny? And then they both simultaneously, somberly say, yes, Santa. But they are somber because they, they feel bad. They feel bad that they betrayed Santa and told the Martians where to find him. Of course, Santa doesn't want them to worry, you know, balderdash. Uh, now, on the ship, one of the main things that happens is Voldar tries to murder Santa Claus and the children <laughs> in the airlock, which I literally, while we were watching, I made a joke about that happening. And then it actually happened in the movie. I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah, the build up to this scene is great. The scene itself is wonderful. And then, of course, the the payoff, uh, because, of course, first you get uber villainous, just oozingly villainous Voldar convincing them to come with him into the airlock. And then once they're locked inside, uh, oh, yeah, it's it's great because I think nowadays. I don't know when this became the case, but for, I think, most modern sci-fi viewers, you know what an airlock is. You don't need to, it to be described to you. You just need to know that it is one. But this film does not take airlocks for granted. In this film, they feel the need to have Billy give an extended monologue about the functionality and purpose of an airlock. And why does he know? I, he's just a science kid, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> So he locks them in the airlock and Santa is always giving Voldar the benefit of the doubt. He's like, oh, I don't think he locked us in. He just stepped away for a moment. And then they set off the timer. It's like it takes 60 seconds before they can void the airlock into space. The timer is ticking down. They're like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, we're going to we're going to be killed until they see a like pipe leading up out of the corner of the room. And so we come away to the control room of the ship and we see Voldar just really enjoying the thought of Santa and the children dying in the vacuum of space. Uh, Kimar discovers that Voldar has killed them, and then there's a fist fight, but it's interrupted when Santa and the children come in unharmed. And uh, what happened? Well, they explain. They, they went up the vent. Of course, Voldar is astounded. Santa, you are too fat to fit in that vent. But Voldar doesn't know the magic of Santa Claus. Santa Claus goes down chimneys all the time. Yeah, he thought he'd spaced them or maybe that they'd exploded like Anthony Zerba in a James Bond film. But no, oh, yeah, yeah, no, they they just uh, took him on up the, the chimney. You cannot outsmart Santa Claus if you have anything like a ventilation system involved in your technology. And of course, this ends with everyone laughing at Voldar and Voldar is arrested. Uh, but uh, Voldar, I think, escapes as soon as they land on the planet. Yeah, I don't think they really have great prison facilities on this spaceship. No, everyone who is imprisoned escapes immediately. So they get to the planet and then uh, Momar meets everybody. So it's like, hey, meet Billy and Betty and Santa Claus. Can Santa heal the children of Mars? Well, he's going to try. So 
Bomar and Germar are listening to their science podcasts, looking very blank and miserable. And then Santa comes in to try to heal them with, with jollity. And what happens is Santa just starts laughing at them like a maniac without telling a joke. And the Mars children <laughs> almost by sort of like, almost like in terror, just eventually start laughing too. And it's infectious because I think you'll find watching this movie, you too will start laughing. Yeah. Uh, so everyone in the room laughing at nothing, like like a mad scientist and his henchmen, you know, cackling over a plan to blow up the moon. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this makes Droppo dance. <laughs> his dance is so good in this. Like it's it's like it's it's this feeling when the holiday spirit just overcomes you so much that you can't help but just shuffle manically. <laughs> it's 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 wonderful. Again, it's if I were, if you've never seen this performance, the, the the only living performer I can imagine pulling something like this off would be Martin Short. So Santa tells Kimar, he's like, I need to get the uh, workshop up and running here so I can do Christmas on Mars and still have time to return to Earth for Christmas there. And this leads to one of my favorite uh, bits from John Call's uh, performance as Santa Claus, because they tell him, Santa, you're never going to return to Earth. Quote, now you belong to Mars. (laughs) Santa goes, I I can't I can't even I can't can't do it as well as he did, but he's like, Uh Ho, 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 or yeah. something to that effect. Like he finds a way to use ho, ho, ho to uh, to deliver um, the character's um, thought process here of realizing, oh, snap, I have to go to Mars forever now. Yeah, uh, I belong to Mars. So he sort of goes along with it anyway. We find out that Kimar has set Santa up with a sort of automated toy production factory so he can be the Santa Claus of Mars. And it's working all right. Like there are these shoots in the wall that sort of poop out like dolls and baseball bats onto a conveyor belt. And then the Earth children have to carry them away in laundry baskets. And Santa kind of laments this state of affairs. He's like, look at me, the world's greatest toy maker, reduced to pressing buttons. That's automation for you. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of a frequent strain in uh, cinematic retellings of Santa Claus, the uh, mass production versus the, uh, the the handcrafted toys that we see in illustrations of Santa's workshop. And I think this is also always a point of, of confusion for children under the... Um, spell of santa it's Mm. like clearly the things that i want for christmas are not things made by rustic elves in some sort of a shop somewhere no these are made by factories um often overseas but not at the north pole did santa claus make this game boy yeah (laughs) now my my wife and son when we were watching this they questioned why the toy selection is so limited here but i think it makes sense because you have to remember this is mars first christmas all of this is new the children of mars are just excited about the the concept of doll and bat oh yeah i think the other things on there are uh train tools maybe teddy bear i think Mm mm-hmm Oh, and also it's putting out little like model militaria, like little cannons and stuff. Oh, yeah. And you'd think that Voldar would be pleased with that. But no, Voldar has taken to the caves with the rebellion. Right. So he's got some henchmen hiding out with him. Uh, They say the cave is surrounded by a nuclear curtain, which prevents people from coming and going unless they deactivate. And he's hatching plans with his toadies. And this is the part where one of the henchmen returns. He's been spying on Santa's workshop and he looks into the camera and does a commercial for the slinky. He's like, isn't this the most wonderful thing ever? It's a coil of metal that can walk down the stairs by itself. 
it makes you wonder, was Santa licensed by the Slinky Corporation to make Slinkies? And if so, what about being on another planet? I guess that comes, I know that some legal documents talk about rights extending through the universe, and it may be for this (laughs) very reason. That's a good point. Uh, so he, he gives this beautiful monologue about the Slinky, but then Voldar is like, you fool, you are falling for the allure of toys. We believe in war, not fun. <laughs> and this, this is another scene where you have this absolute gargoyle of an actor yeah. in the background. Just, oh, my God, such chewing of scenery. It's just amazing. Really good. And then also this part made me laugh out loud when Voldar, he's coming up with a plan of what to do. And he says, we can't eliminate Santa Claus, but we can discredit him. Yeah. It's like, if we kill him now, he will become a martyr. <laughs> it's just basically, um, um, uh, um, Dune Messiah all over again. They're, yeah. They're like this is the only way to bring him down. This is the only way to prevent Santa's jihad. Yes. We, we cannot kill Santa. We have to kill the Santa myth. Yes. Uh, we must we must destroy his brand. So I think their initial plan is just to sabotage the toy machine in Santa's workshop to make it spit out like dolls with teddy bear heads and teddy bears with doll heads, which we do see later. Uh, but instead, when they're in there, it crosses over with the subplot where Droppo has wanted to become Santa Claus. Because uh, Momar makes Santa a backup Santa suit, and Droppo wants to wear it, but he's not fat enough. So he stuffs a pillow in there, and he's dancing (laughs) around in the Santa suit with a hat on. And he's trying to fatten up, I think, by eating a lot of, like, ice cream pills. And Mm -hmm. so that's, that's becoming Santa. Um, my my wife and son asked, where did he get this pillow? Because where, where, where do we see any Martians with pillows? No, they don't sleep with pillows. They sleep on some sort of a weird inverted pyramid um, kind of a platform, right? While they listen to their podcasts. Yeah, exactly. The, the sleep spray. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, oh, and we missed in between. There's a part where we see Santa come home from a day's work in the toy factory and he's talking to Kimar and everybody. And uh, he's like, wow, you know, that was a long day at work. Uh, they say, are you tired? He says, no, I'm not tired, but my finger is. He holds his finger up. He's like, mm-hmm. now I have to go put my finger to bed. Needless to say, um, all of the various uh, riffings of this movie have had tremendous fun with this line. I believe Lookout Knows was the riff from the uh, original <laughs> Mystery Science Theater 3000 treatment of the movie. That's good. But okay, so Droppo's all dressed up as Santa. And so when Voldar and his henchmen, they break into the Santa workshop, they just happen to run across Droppo dressed as Santa. Uh, (laughs) They can't tell that he is not Santa. They do not notice that he is green and has antennae. So they just take him. Interesting insight into the mind and perception of the Martian. They couldn't tell one Santa from any other Santa uh, when looking down at Earth either. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they they just don't have much visual acuity. That could be the yeah. case. Yeah, the the they have the antenna array, which may be their primary means of sensing the world around them. Hmm, yeah. Uh, okay. So Santa figures out what has happened. Uh, he says, "Oh, wait a minute." He finds out that his second Santa suit is missing and Droppo is missing. He's like, "Oh, okay. Well, wherever you find one, you're going to find the other because Droppo clearly wants to be me." He also discovers that his workshop has been sabotaged. This is when they're holding up like dolls with teddy bear heads on them. They look Mm -hmm. pretty horrifying. And 
Now that they think they have Santa hostage, they actually have Droppo, Voldar and his henchmen go to Kimar to list their demands. <laughs> they say, okay, we're going to release Santa Claus, but only if you, one, destroy the toy machine, two, send Santa and the children back to Earth, and three, quote, no more joy through toys nonsense on Mars. And I think that's the name of the program, I guess. It's Joy Through Toys, which actually sounds kind of uh, soulless. Yeah, I can easily imagine scenes where the Martian legislature is having arguments over this. So, like, some are saying, yeah, Joy Through Toys is the way. And others are like, more Martian money to be spent on Joy Through Toys? Come on. <laughs> uh, but while they're there, Kimar reveals, hey, actually, Santa's right here in the workshop next to us. So you don't have him hostage. And Voldar is astounded. How did he escape <laughs> the cave? How did he get here so fast? Kimar replies, Santa Claus has powers you don't even know about. Hands up. And gun on them. I, I love it. So Kimar now is just, he's fully in the tank for Santa Claus. Yeah, absolutely. He's committed. Uh, and, and now we have just full-blown, uh, kind of like a civil war on Mars here between these factions, between the, the pro-Santa and the anti-Santa factions. Yeah, so Kimar tries to keep uh, Voldar and his henchmen in a storage shed that does not look Martian at all. It's just an Earth storage shed that's got shelves of, it's got like skis in there. And he's got the gun pointed at him, but they end up fighting and uh, Voldar kind of escapes. Meanwhile, Droppo also escapes the cave where they're keeping him by, like he turns off the, quote, nuclear curtain I think by switching light bulbs on a machine, I'm, it's not clear exactly what's happening there, but he, he makes his way out. Everybody gathers back at Santa's workshop. Voldar runs in uh, again, points a gun at Santa Claus and says, we meet again. And, you know, you think, oh, is it all over for Santa Claus? But no, Voldar is defeated by the children. In fact, he is defeated by children running underfoot and being a nuisance and pelting him with toys until he is dead. Oh, Not, he doesn't die. No, but they <laughs> but they do they do mercilessly pelt him with toys and confetti and Christmas cheer. Yeah, there are a lot of the toys are attacking him too. They're kind of um, uh, maximum overdrive uh, yes. <laughs> uh, elements to this attack. So the anti-Santa rebellion has been squashed. Uh, but what happens next? We have a, a curious situation. Are we going to continue with Santa Claus from Earth ruling over Christmas on Mars while they, I guess, are just not going to have Christmas on Earth? What is the possible solution to this? Well, we already know what it's going to be. We, we've got a second Santa in the movie. That's right. It's Droppo. Droppo becomes Droppo Claus, the Santa of Mars. Interplanetary war is avoided, and the, the future fun of children on Mars is ensured. Beautiful. And Droppo comes in dressed as Santa, saying, Merry Christmas, everyone! You know, Merry <laughs> Christmas, building and loan! Uh, and uh, the Martian children are excited. Betty and Billy are excited. But Betty and Billy and Santa now are going to get to go back to Earth. Uh, and there was one thing I noticed, Germar and Bomar give Betty and Billy gifts as they're leaving, but they don't say what the gifts are. And Billy's gift looks like a blood pressure cuff. <laughs> I didn't notice this. So maybe they're setting up for the sequel. Like, basically, it's a planet of, of war. So they gave Billy, like, the laser blast gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> so he's going <laughs> to go home and it's going to be very disruptive. Uh, and at the end, Santa and the children blast off to travel back to Earth in a spaceship. And we hear the song again, because you have not heard the song enough. 
Where did the spaceship come from? I'm trying to remember. Is this a spaceship that Earth sent? Because there was this whole talk with Werner oh. von Green about how they were going to send a spaceship. What happened with all that? I never even mentioned this subplot because it never goes anywhere. But Billy sabotages the Martian spaceship's radar jamming thing so that the Earth Space Force, which exists in this movie, can mm-hmm. detect the Martian ship. And then we, yeah, we have this interview with Werner von Breen and he's like, Oh, you know, we were going to take a a while to train our astronauts to go to Mars, but now instead we're going to send them immediately, but we never see them arrive. Hmm. There's a lot to make of that, but it also feels like maybe some stuff was just cut. I don't know. Yeah, that could be it. Like I expected human earth soldiers to show up on Mars and rescue the children, but they don't. It would be be like the finale of Moonraker. Oh, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, with the lasers. Oh, man. That's great. We we may have to do Moonraker in the future, speaking of Moonraker. Oh, we should absolutely do Moonraker. That is the weirdest, one of the worst, <laughs> but one of the most entertaining James Bond movies. And it's got Michael Lonsdale as Hugo Drax, one of the most hilarious James Bond villains ever. Oh, yes. A great, great actor, but yes, <laughs> strange part. But yes, of course, in the end... uh the bad forces of Mars get draxed and the uh, the Earthlings go back to Earth and it's it's happily ever after. But hit the song again because everybody loves um, Hooray for Santa Claus. So they, they play the song again, I think maybe after the credits, and they do the, there's no bouncing ball, but they throw the, the lyrics up there on yeah. the screen. So all the children in the audience and all the people watching at home uh, can sing along with this infectious song. I'm sure the parents loved this because it encourages the children to sing along and shows them what the words are. So it's like, keep singing this for weeks at your parents now. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's stuck in my head. And I'm the one singing it. (laughs) That's the the thing. Oh, maybe you're a child at heart. I I hope so. This is the season for it, right? So that's Santa Claus, again, conquers the Martians. Consider Martian civilization conquered by Santa Claus at this point. Santa has established a Martian of his choosing to rule over Christmas on Mars in his place. What would that title be if we were like looking back on uh, uh, ancient civilizations? What is the the, the name of the the ruler installed by the uh, overarching emperor? I don't know if there's a special name for that in the ancient world, but yeah, there were often kings who were you know, they had to pay tribute to the empire. They're sort of uh, the, uh, in some way, a vassal of the the imperial structure above them. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, maybe Mars is now a vassal state to the North Pole. I can see that, yeah. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Uh, this one is a lot of fun, as always, to watch, a lot of fun to discuss. Um, I don't know about you, Joe, but I always find that if, even if it's a movie I've seen many times before, uh, watching something for Weird House Cinema, it, it, it requires me to, to think about it a little differently and maybe approach it with a, a little more attention <laughs> than I normally do. So this was, this was a lot of fun to discuss. Totally true. And obviously, we'd love to hear from everyone out there if you have thoughts about Santa Claus versus, sorry, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. If you have thoughts about about this film, you have theories about this film, we'd love to hear from you. If you have memories of watching it, rift or unrift in any form, uh, definitely write in. And we'll uh, you know potentially read those messages on a future installment of Listener Mail. A reminder that we are primarily a science podcast with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, with a short form artifact or monster fact on Wednesdays and a listener mail on Monday. But on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns here on Weird House Cinema to just talk about a weird film. 
Huge thanks to our audio producer today, JJ Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.